In November of 1963, America was shocked and saddened when President John Kennedy was shot and killed in the city of Dallas, Texas. After only a few hours, it was determined that the man who shot Kennedy was a young Marxist named Lee Harvey Oswald. Today on HPH, we're telling the story of these two men and detailing the official account of what happened on that fateful day. Grab a drink, settle in, and, at least for this week, put aside your tinfoil hats and join us in this episode of 100 Proof History, titled The Kennedy Assassination, Part 1, God Hates Facts. This is 100 Proof History. We're drinking whiskey and talking history. So, grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy a few laughs as the guys talk about all the horrible things people do to each other. Here are your hosts, Chris and Greg. Uh, Welcome in, everyone. Uh, For clarification, that's God Hates Facts. Oh, Facts. okay. I thought we were going a completely different direction with this podcast. I had to. No, this is not the uh, Westboro Baptist Church. <laughs> yeah, not their podcast. Fuck those guys. Yeah. <laughs> I will protest your funeral in a similar manner. Oh. Yeah, it's just for the laughs, though. I won't actually mean anything behind it. It'll just help me, you know, as you're being lowered into the ground. I'm fighting back tears, but I got this gallows humor. Yeah, I got the big poster board that says, you know, God hates Greg's and. uh <laughs> You know, it'll help me get through it. You know what? I'll be dead. I don't give a shit. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Today we are talking about John Fitzgerald Kennedy Jr. Nope, nope, not that one. Oh, oh, damn it. The dad. The dad, (laughs) Fuck. Yeah. I want to talk about the little boy doing the salute. And crashing his plane. Ah, that one. (laughs) No, nobody cares about him. Oh, not even his dead parents. That's right. All right, let's bring, let's bring this to a happy place. <laughs> okay. Here's something happy and fun for you. Our website. Woo! Hey. Yeah, 100proofhistory.com. Check it out, guys. Lots of good stuff on there. Do it now or later or, you know, at your leisure. No, uh, it's not at your leisure. You need to call us and request access. That's it's kind of it's not a, a great website. I'm not going to lie to you. You do have to have an invitation, but uh, just you know, just hit us up and a frames enabled browser. Yes, please. Netscape six or above. <laughs> Chris, what is our source today? Our source today is End of Days by James L. Swanson, and our more astute listeners might recognize that name from our Lincoln assassination series. Just like that book, this one's very detailed, very compelling to read. And he sources it incredibly well. Again, almost half the book is sources. Uh, I love the way that he writes, man. Yeah, it's very entertaining. Nice flow to it. A big thing with this book, and the same thing we're going to do in this episode of the podcast, it's nothing but the facts. There's no conjecture. There's no, maybe this organization was involved. Maybe this organization was involved. Maybe there were six gunmen all firing rocket launchers at JFK at the same time. Doing the 360 no-scope off the top of the building. None of that shit. <laughs> uh, it's just, here is the story as it's been presented by the Warren Commission, and this is what I'm going with. And then, like I said uh, in the intro, next week is when we're going to get into all the conspiracies and you know the craziness and conjecture and shit like that. Chris, what are you drinking today? Uh, today, I'm having a Morangi 10-year Highland Scotch. And you're thinking, how does that tie into a story about an American president being shot in Dallas? Well, I'm about to blow your mind, Greg. I'm about to blow your mind. 
No pun intended. I was about to say, I'm about to blow your mind harder than a 6.5 millimeter bullet flying through a brain. No. After JFK was assassinated, uh, his wife, Jackie, climbs on the plane with the body. And note, one of the guys hands her a drink and says, this is scotch. She says, I don't drink scotch. I've never had scotch. And apparently she liked it so much she had two. And so we're having scotch. And she didn't like it that much then. <laughs> she stopped after two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, and also, this is a 10-year scotch. They were married in 1953 and unmarried in 1963 when his brains got splattered all over the Lincoln car. Oh, 10-year. Yeah. yeah, so... Boom! And as a president, he had very low tenure. <laughs> he sure did. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Greg, what are you drinking? I am drinking Old Forester 1920. Okay. It's a 115-proof bourbon. It's fucking delicious. Mm-hmm. It's just a Prohibition-era bourbon. It ties in because JFK was born in 1917. Uh-huh. And started drinking bourbon when he was three. <laughs> There were three bullets shot at him. Oh. So 17 plus 3, 1920. I drink what I fucking want, listener. They didn't know that they were going to be listening to some complex math involved, you know, in this story, but here we are. We're breaking it down yeah. for you. We'll, we'll put it on the website. I know it's kind of complicated when you just hear, you know, math of that level. <laughs> yeah. Just trust me. All right. Well, let's keep the intro short, Greg. We got a lot to talk about today. Let's get into it. What do you say? Yeah, let's go. John Fitzgerald Kennedy was born on May 29th, 1917, as Greg just told you, in Brookline, Massachusetts. His family was already wealthy and politically active, and maybe definitely was involved with the Irish Mafia. In fact, he was named after his grandfather, John Fitzgerald, also known as Honey Fitz, not sure why, who had been a U.S. congressman and mayor of Boston. Oh, shit, ladies. Here comes Honey Fitz. Hey, baby. <laughs> Oh, it just sounds like something a hooker would call yeah. <laughs> a John. And his name was John. So There you go. There you go. History. During his childhood, he would suffer from a buttload of illnesses such as scarlet fever, chicken pox, whooping cough, measles, and chronic ear infections. I guess his parents were anti-vaxxers. Uh, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> he didn't have autism, so worked out. When JFK was 17, he became so ill that he was hospitalized and his doctors thought he might have leukemia. He didn't have leukemia, but he did have autoimmune disorders that would plague him for the rest of his life. When he was 30, he was diagnosed with Addison's disease. His doctor looked at him and said, Kind of feels like God hates you and wants you to suffer, and uh, told Kennedy he had about a year to live. Kennedy said, I think I got 10 years left in me. A little more than that. What an idiot. Fucking moron. (laughs) (laughs) Well, despite being sick all the damn time, Kennedy's early years were still pretty great. He attended a fancy school where he blew up the toilets with firecrackers, which is like classic Dennis the Menace shit. Uh, He went on to Harvard and then went on to serve in the U.S. Navy during World War II. Uh, And just a little note for our listeners who aren't subscribed to our Patreon, if you were, this past Monday, you would have been able to listen to the whole story of JFK in World War II and his boat, the PT-109. And I gotta say, it was pretty entertaining, so look up our Patreon if you're, uh, if you're interested in learning that story as well. Do yourself a favor, huh? Hey! I don't know. I don't know why I went with that accent. I don't either, but I like going, hey, after you do hey. it. <laughs> <laughs> when he returned from the war, Kennedy became involved in politics. He was elected to the House of Representatives in 1946. And then in 1952, moved on to represent Massachusetts in the Senate. 
Shortly thereafter, he underwent surgery for constant back pain and was so sick that he was read his last rites on multiple occasions. Like, after the second time, that priest was like, okay, all right, what the fuck? How many times I got to do this for you, guy? Like, <laughs> like, I don't get it. Like, you're baptized once when you're an infant as a Catholic, and that's good enough. But every time I think you're dying, I got to come in here and say, oh, okay, it's okay. Jesus still loves you. <laughs> oh, Catholics are idiots. Whoa. <laughs> now I'm just Hot sports opinion. <laughs> JFK would spend the rest of his life on a various regimen of pills and stuck in a back brace. Well, of course, all of that was hidden from the public. Kind of like a Roosevelt in the wheelchair. They never showed pictures or let the public see him in his wheelchair when he had polio. Mm-hmm. They just, you know, had some skinny guy stand behind him with his legs tied to his legs so he could stand him up and walk him <laughs> around. <laughs> He sure has a square frame to him. <laughs> yeah. He's always wearing those long black robes. <laughs> He's always wearing that weird two-person horse costume for some reason. <laughs> but the front but the front legs are wheels. I don't know. I don't get yeah. it. This is a weird president, but he pulled us out of depression, so I'm okay with it. It was like a rescue horse, you know, that was only had two legs and they put wheels on the on the front one. I don't know. <laughs> In 1953, JFK met and married Jacqueline Bouvier, who was 12 years younger than Kennedy. And sexy. The uh, her last name they used for Marge in The Simpsons as her maiden name it was also mm. Bouvier. So sexy. Just a little fun fact for our Simpsons history podcast. Over the next 10 years, hey, eh, eh, see, getting back to my whiskey, I did it. Mm -hmm. They would have four children, two of which wouldn't survive infancy. Mm, sexy. Wait, not that. <laughs> you I'm were, still thinking about the age difference. You're reading ahead. You're, just, you're getting to this next part. I got you. I'm, I'm over. <laughs> also, over the next 10 years, JFK would have multiple affairs, including one with famous actress and singer Marilyn Monroe. More like married man gone ho. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry for everything. I do have a very serious hypothetical question for you, Gregory. Okay, I'm, I'm listening. Okay, we're both married, and this is legitimate talking about our legitimate wives, not the bullshit lies we tell on here, like how my wife is always threatening violence if I leave the closet and your wife is cucking you out of your own house. The, the legit <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> just jokes. <laughs> yeah, just those jokes. Just jokes. Doctor's giving you a year to live. You think you have ten. You know you're dying. And some famous actress comes up to you and says, Gregory, I want you to put your penis inside of my vagina. And you're like, but I love my wife. My wife. But I might die tomorrow. She does. She. You can't answer honestly because she listens. I would stay true to my <laughs> wife. It's till death do us part, Chris. That's true. That is true. I would also stay true to my wife because I would think it was some sort of elaborate trap set up by my wife, like some make-a-wish thing. <laughs> she <laughs> she hired the doctor to give you false information just to test you? Yeah, just to, Yeah. <laughs> Just, hey, fuck your Hippocratic Oath. Here's $8,000. Just lie to him. I want to see what he does. I've, I've never actually had reason to think he's cheating on me, but you never know until you know. So I want to try and give him one. So let's let's say he has a terminal illness. Let's contact Christina Hendricks. Say it's a make-a-wish to bone him. And let's just see what happens. Let's play it out. Remember Christina Hendricks from like, I don't know, 15 years ago? Mm -hmm. She's in Mad Men, the redheaded lady. Yeah, like 15 years ago. That's what I'm talking about. I don't care. I still would. She's in a show now. Wife watches it. And I'm like, meh. Meh. I'm such a misogynist <laughs> pig. 
That's what yeah. I sound like. Not, whatever, I like what I like. Not hot enough for me, Greg. <laughs> her, Didn't live up to my podcasting standards. Her elbows are all weird. No! They're all sharp. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> In 1960, Kennedy won the Democratic nomination for president and was up against Republican Richard Nixon. The men were actually pretty evenly matched and had similar platforms focusing on stopping the spread of communism. But Kennedy was young and sexy. Well, yeah, he was. Lazy-eyed and... Uh, like, <laughs> I don't get it, man. I don't, I don't know if it's like prison hot or, you know, like army hot we've talked about before. Like... he. Compared to other presidents, yeah, he's... Yeah, look at him in a fucking lineup of presidents, dude. Guy's a stud. His predecessor, Dwight D. Eisenhower, standing there all bald and short. Tall, skinny, <laughs> young, head yeah. full of hair. Mm-hmm. What the fuck's wrong with you, Chris? <laughs> I'm sorry. Even I've got half chub for Kennedy. <laughs> well, he made love to the TV cameras every chance he got. He narrowly defeated Nixon to become the 35th president of the United States and the youngest elected president at 43 years old. That's right, because Roosevelt was actually the youngest man to become president, but that was due to him taking over from his vice presidency when McKinley was assassinated. Yeah, we're talking random about, fact, listener. Boom, talking about Theodore Roosevelt too. Gotta, oh yes, you yes, yes. Specify because, by the way, way sexier than JFK. The mustache, and that get out of here. Gleaming smile. You know, if he took off his shirt, he'd just rip it off and it'd be like just pecs and abs all the way down, glistening. So you're into the bears. Okay. Oh, yeah. You know I am. But I'm more of a twink man myself. I kind of want him. I don't want him hairy, though. I don't want a hairy bear. I want a, a, a shaved bear. That's what I want. In my presidents. You know, shaved bear. <laughs> a, sh- a shaved bear president. That's what I'm looking for. So uh, that's why I won't be voting for either of these candidates in the upcoming election. They're just... <laughs> the first few years of his presidency focused on the two hot button issues of the day. Communism and civil rights. Early on in his presidency, he had a failure in fighting communism in the Bay of Pigs incident, in which the CIA tried to launch a successful invasion of Cuba using Cuban defectors. But the following year was a massive success when he avoided nuclear war during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Now, both of these are huge topics that they really do deserve their own shows. Um, And actually, one of our faithful super listeners, super sexy young man by the name of Noah Miller, uh, emailed us to ask us to do a show on the Cuban Missile Crisis, and we'll get there. We will. We just uh, we like to bounce around in history, not stick around one specific time frame too much. So we'll come back to it. I promise you, Noah. Well, on the civil rights side, Kennedy supported desegregation and opposed the Southern governors who had stood in the way of black students from attending schools with the white students. Yep, through the first few years of his presidency, Kennedy and his wife Jackie were immensely popular, even in the Southern states. In 1963, Kennedy was beginning to campaign for the 1964 presidential elections. A big point of contention was the state of Texas, where the Democratic Party was heavily divided. Against the advice of his cabinet members and a few senators, Kennedy planned to take a trip to Texas on November 21st. He would make stops in San Antonio, Austin, Fort Worth, and Dallas before returning home. In a body bag. God damn it. Jackie would accompany him because, well, people just fucking love Jackie. Except JFK's penis, apparently. Well. That little guy liked all the other ladies. uh, He probably liked Jackie, too. He was, you know, equal opportunity. My penis likes Jackie. Jackie off. (laughs) (laughs) The old Jackie-o, yep. (laughs) When they arrived in San Antonio, they were greeted by massive cheering crowds. 
Still, there were a lot of jack wagons that held up signs supporting segregation and waved Confederate flags. That day in Dallas, the chief of police, Jesse Curry, went to the media to ask people to be on their best behavior and not embarrass the city. The first day in Texas went well for the Kennedy campaign. People loved the Kennedys and treated them like rock stars. That day, Kennedy gave well-received speeches in San Antonio and Austin and then hopped on a flight to Fort Worth. When you're reading about it, it's, it's kind of weird because they are like rock stars. Like people are like just like reaching out, trying to touch them. And like Jackie touches this girl. She runs away. Oh, she touched me. She touched me. I can't believe it. And it's like, sure. I, I, and watching this is, you know, a few years before, but kind of the same general time frame that the Beatles came around and you couldn't even hear the concert because the girls are just screaming so loud and they're passing out and shit. Right, and this is when that whole starstruck thing came about. You know, rock and roll is a thing at this point. Yeah, I just feel like it, it exudes that. Yeah, I just I'm, I read about this. And I'm like, I don't think I could ever be that excited about anything in my fucking life. Am I no? Am I dead inside? If you know, like, like I met, you know, yeah, yeah, okay. I got I, like a twenty something kill streak in Halo once, and I was kind of like that. But yeah, that's the closest <laughs> I've been to to joy in my entire life. Yeah. <laughs> Even at my wedding, I was like, mm, yeah, all right, let's fuck it. I don't, I don't see it getting any better. This is what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Kids born. That's an 18-year commitment at least. Yeah, just another fucking mouth to feed. Great. Great. <laughs> the plan for the following day, November 22nd, was for JFK to give a speech at the breakfast in Fort Worth, hop on a 13-minute flight to Dallas for the photo ops at the airport, and then go on a short parade through downtown Dallas before meeting with business leaders at the Dallas Trademark. And just kind of to note there, if you look at a map, uh, the Dallas Trademark still exists. It's like Dallas Trade Market or something now. Um, if you look at the map from Love Field Airport to Dallas Trade Market, it's pretty much a straight shot down the highway. Just, there's not a need for all this, but he did want to be seen. So he took this big circuitous route through downtown to loop back to uh, the trade market. Well, sure, the route was pretty arbitrary, but you're also talking about a campaign that simultaneously went through takeoff and landing procedures at the same time for their 13-minute fucking flight <laughs> right. from Fort Worth to Dallas. Like the seatbelt sign fucking clicks off and then right back on. Fuck! <laughs> yeah. I've got a shit bad! <laughs> the stewardess just walks by and just pours some whiskey in your mouth and keeps fucking walking. <laughs> <laughs> Throws peanuts in your face. I like it. Well, during this parade, JFK and Jackie would ride with Texas Governor John Connolly and his wife Nellie and two Secret Service agents in a Lincoln convertible with a top off. And I may have missed this in the reading, but I'm pretty sure it's correct. When they say Nellie, they're talking about the famous hip-hop artist, right? Yeah, dude. Like, uh, she was she, he, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's going around in that Lincoln convertible, a little Band-Aid on the cheek. Ah, uh, okay. That- the the Nellie signature. I'm surprised he was elected in 1960s Texas with that kind of relationship, but you know, hey, good on those people. Texas is the Wild West, man. You never know. <laughs> well, there was also a plastic bubble that could be placed over the convertible, and the Secret Service could surround the car with agents riding on the running boards, but JFK was against this idea. He wanted people to be able to see him. Six other Secret Service agents would have to settle for riding in the car behind the president. And as I understand it, you were actually, you spent a decent amount of your childhood in a plastic bubble. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. What's the reasoning there? Was it like an autoimmune thing or I was concerned about snipers. And so, oh. you know, it won't stop the b- bullets, but it'll deflect them. So you elected to yes. be in this bubble. I was, you know, 
people don't realize this, but as an adult, I've actually reined myself in more. I was a very offensive child. So offensive that they thought I might have Tourette's. But no, I was just horribly insensitive. And so there were a lot of people <laughs> that wanted to kill me. So it yeah. reminds me of Cartman on South Park when he like fakes having Tourette's, <laughs> but then he ends up really getting it. <laughs> but he's like, <laughs> the shit he would say, like, piss, piss coming out of my ass. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Holy shit. Okay. Tourette's is not a joke. I understand that, but that's a funny episode. Yeah. To top it all off, guys, the parade route was published in the newspapers, and the Secret Service did pretty much nothing to make sure the winding route through the tall buildings were secure prior to the president's arrival. Dude, when was the last time a president was shot? Yeah, it only been like 62 years. So, you know, they forgot about it. No big deal. Shit happens. Uh, I do like that they didn't learn anything from the Lincoln or the Garfield assassinations, and they're still putting the president's itinerary in the fucking newspaper. Nothing. Yeah, that that was... Come on, man. That was before their time. (laughs) Things are different now. That can't happen again. They're like, history's gay. Who cares? History doesn't repeat itself. Nope. Well, on the morning of the 22nd, as President Kennedy was discussing the cars with his agents and Jackie, he ominously said, Whoa, 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 whoa. So he included the wife in the car talk? Yeah. This is is a work of fiction. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Well, real talk, uh, she didn't like driving with the top down or the bubble off because it messed up her hair. Uh, Uh, Yeah, you ever try and take a girl in a convertible? They fucking hate it. (laughs) Girls don't go places with me, Craig. (laughs) Stupid. Take the top (laughs) off of a Jeep? They're out, dude. It's like, ugh. Well, if they actually know you, if they're, you know, if it's like first couple dates, they're going to act like, oh, this is fun, huh? I'm free spirit and shit. And then when you're with them for, you know, like a few years, like, really? Let's just take my car. Well, it's perfect day out. Oh, I don't feel like fucking doing it. Put a hat on. No, it'll mess up my hair. Sorry, that's never happened to me. <laughs> the only time I've ever gone anywhere with a bitch. The only time I've ever gone anywhere with a girl where the wind might affect her hair uh, was when I was 28 and went on my first date. Um, <laughs> I didn't have a car. I just had a 10 speed Huffy. So she had to ride on the handlebars. But I don't think we were going fast enough for the wind to actually do anything. I struggled mightily uh, to that Chili's. By the time I got there to to Chili's, it was uh, they were shutting that place down. They're like, yeah, and I was just like begging for water, and they're like, sir, please leave, or we'll call the police. But I'm happy to say, forty years later, I'm still married to that girl, so it all worked out in the end. I'm happy to hear it, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, as they were getting the car ready, JFK ominously said, "Quote: If somebody wants to shoot me from a window with a rifle." Nobody can stop it. So why worry about it? I do like the idea, though, of maybe Lee Harvey Oswald was just standing over in the corner and he heard that. And he's like, <laughs> gets that shifty eye thing going back and forth. It's like, does he fucking know something? What's what's up here? Kind of like Judas sitting at dinner with Jesus. And he's like, one of you has already betrayed me tonight. And he's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> but Jack- puckers hard on that one. Jack, please. well as most of you already likely know there was someone that wanted to shoot jfk from a window with a rifle greg tell us a little bit about that person colonel mustard oh shit oh well actually lee harvey oswald was born on october 18th 1939 in nolens his father had died before he was born and his mother had already sent his two older brothers to live in an orphanage 
She wanted to send Lee there, too, but they wouldn't take him until he was three, so she was stuck with him. He would go to the orphanage when he turned three, but they would eventually kick out Lee and his brothers. Like, when you're too fucked up for an orphanage, <laughs> something, something wrong. Yeah, I didn't know this was a thing. Like, I know now you can just, you don't like your kid, like, up until, like, I think six months, you can just leave him outside a fire station and take off running. Uh, but I didn't know, like, uh, this kid fucking sucks. Let's take them all to the orphanage. Mama wants to go gambling. She's got to put on her fancy dress, go get some beers, do some smoking. You know, I don't need, <laughs> need these, these fucking anchor babies weighing me down. It is actually illegal to do what you just said at a fire station. Is it? Yes. The whole idea is that you can legally give them up, but mm. there's paperwork and shit involved. Oh, you can't just, like, drop it's them off? It's not a baby in a fucking basket. <laughs> no. A wild dog could come fucking start gnawing on its face, dude. Hmm. Fair enough. <laughs> his childhood was chaotic, with his mother moving him between Texas and Louisiana. Over the first 16 years of his life, he'd attend a total of 21 different schools. When he was 14 and living in New York, he was psychologically evaluated, and a judge ordered Lee to be placed in a facility for psychologically disturbed boys. Instead, his mom just moved him back to Texas. He was a complete shithead as a kid. He thought he was smarter than everyone, despite constantly being judged as being of average intelligence. He was quick to anger and often resorted to violence. On one occasion, a neighbor was visiting when he saw Oswald chasing his brother with a knife and eventually throwing the knife at his brother. His mother just said, oh, that's just how Lee is. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to fucking kill you. All right, you boys behave. You know, just Classic fucking Lee. <laughs> yeah. Do you hear the dinner bell, boys? <laughs> As a teenager, Lee fell in love with communism and studied Marx like most teenage boys study Pornhub. You mean Richard Marx? Uh, the other one. That's the only Marx I know, man. He His songs... Reach into, you don't know the Marx Brothers? Reach into my chest and touch my heart. No. Do they? Yeah. They, they make me feel alive. They awaken something in me. I don't know what it is. But, uh, it's very interesting. Makes me want to go down to the bus stop and just hang out in the bathrooms all day and see what's happening. <laughs> well, no, of course, we're talking about Karl Marx. Oh, that one. Yeah. What did he sing? Well, the Communist Manifesto. <laughs> it's this old ditty. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's got a banjo part in it. <laughs> a dueling banjo. Says <laughs> <laughs> means of production. <laughs> when he turned 17, despite his strong communist beliefs, he followed in his brother Robert's footsteps and joined up with the U.S. Marines. While in the Marines, Oswald scored a 212 on his marksman test, which involved shooting a rifle using iron sights at a target 200 yards away while standing. This earned him the designation of sharpshooter. But, you know, on the second test, his score dropped to 191, which reduced him to a marksman. What a stupid idiot. Can't even take these incredibly difficult shots from 200 fucking yards while standing and using <laughs> iron sights. What a little bitch. His time in the Marines went about as well as you'd expect someone with severe discipline issues and narcissism to do in a highly regulated environment centered on strict routines and discipline. He served as a radar tech in Japan, working at the base where the U-2 spy plane was stationed. During his service, he was court-martialed for, one, shooting himself with an unauthorized twenty-two pistol, two, for fighting a sergeant, and three, for freaking the fuck out and unloading his rifle into the jungle one night while on guard duty. <laughs> Just fucking going ape shit. Now, if the pistol had been authorized and he shot himself, that would have been fine, right? But because it wasn't army regs, he was like... Well, it would have been an accident. 
I don't think he would be reprimanded for it, necessarily. What a fucking idiot. When he went to the Marine Brass, saying his mother was sick and needed care, which was a complete lie, they were happy to give him a hardship discharge and send him home, because no one could fucking stand the dude. He was discharged on September 11th, 1959. Never, Never forget. forget. <laughs> moment of silence for September 11th. This moment of silence is brought to you by Casper Mattresses. Order Casper Mattresses at caspermattress.com slash 100proofhistory. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding, we're in no way associated with Casper. Yeah. This concludes your moment of silence. <laughs> he then defected to the Soviet Union on a tourist visa. He was only supposed to stay for six days, but on the sixth day, when they went to kick him out, he slit his left wrist. The Soviets said fuck it and let him stay there. So, I've decided after reading this that next time they try to kick me out of the jazz bar for making MILFs uncomfortable, this is going to be my go-to move. <laughs> Just start cutting myself. No. I don't want to go. Okay, fuck, fuck, stay. Oh, Jesus, okay, here, have, have a martini. Hey, I'll what's your name, Caroline? <laughs> okay, nice to meet you, Caroline. Uh, Greg, you're looking a little uh, pale and woozy. Like, oh, 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 I they... like how the MILF has a grandma voice. <laughs> like a great grandma voice. <laughs> Hello, Greg. Come over here and fancy a martini with me. I've dropped a Werther's in mine and just stirred around. <laughs> <laughs> Want to do some body shots? You want some ribbon candy? I have some in my handbag. <laughs> oh, Ethel, you know what gets me going. <laughs> Oswald enjoyed a bit of minor celebrity in the factory where he worked because he was a bit of a novelty. He would eventually meet a 19-year-old girl named Marina and marry her after a month of dating. But once his 15 minutes of fame ran out and he realized that life in Soviet Union was absolute trash, he returned to the United States. Oswald returned to Dallas in 1962. He and Marina had a daughter. They hung out with Russian immigrants and talked about communism and Marxism. He bounced from job to job because he didn't like being told what to do. In March of 63, Oswald decided it was time to do something big in the name of communism. Using the alias A. Hidel, he ordered a 6.5mm Carcano rifle through the mail for the reasonable price of $29.95. Fucking inflation, man. You can't even get a, like a <laughs> you know, package of 6.5mm ammo for $29.95 anymore. Well, no, it's a really odd caliber, <laughs> honestly. He also ordered a 38 caliber revolver. They were delivered to his P.O. box at the Dallas post office. Like, how big is a post office box? I don't know. And like, like a rifle can fit in there. What about a car? What about the whole world, Chris? <laughs> Where do they draw the line? It's the Doctor Who version of post offices. It's just a, a fucking void in space that <laughs> yeah. it goes into, a black hole. <laughs> it made a pact with some demon god alien to use his space to store knickknacks and fucking packs of cookies grandma was sending him. Sounds like the post office I know. In April, he dressed in all black and had Marina take a picture of him holding his rifle. Which this picture comes up again later and it's hilarious. <laughs> she didn't like what he was doing, but she was afraid to defy him. Because he was a total piece of shit domestic abuser who frequently beat her for the slightest things. So when he stored the rifle in his office and told her not to touch it or he'd beat her, she fucking believed him. Yeah. On the night of April 16th, Oswald went to the Turtle Creek neighborhood in Dallas and waited in the alleyway with his rifle. His target was ex-general Edwin Walker, a staunch anti-communist. He raised the rifle, put the scope's crosshairs on Walker's head, and pulled the trigger. Lee then stashed the rifle where he had previously hid it near the property, hopped on a bus, and rode home. 
It wasn't until the following day he would learn that he had missed. The bullet had nicked the wooden window frame and veered off course. Lee was visibly upset and confessed the attempt to a horrified Marina. She suggested that they move to New Orleans. Lee agreed, but before they left, he went back to retrieve his rifle. Bum, bum, bum. It's important to know that he got that gun back. That's all I'm saying. It is. It's an important gun. It's 30 bucks, Greg. You don't just leave a $30 gun lying around. It's twenty nine ninety five. I know that sounds pedantic, but a nickel was fucking huge in those times. <laughs> you could get like three cars. <laughs> and a penny for your change, sir. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> While in New Orleans, Oswald continued to struggle to hold down a job and spent a good deal of his time preaching support for the communist government in Cuba. On one occasion, he was involved in a fight with Cuban refugees and was arrested for distributing the... Distributing the peace. Distributing the peace. Peace be with all of you, please. Put that fucker in jail! Get that hippie! Disturbing the peace. Excuse me. (laughs) He was then interviewed on both television and radio and bragged about his pro-Castro organization, which was led by a man named A.J. Hedell. But it turned out that he was the one and only member of his organization. So it's like this thing, I have this, this, uh... This uh, this uh, this organization I'm a member of, and it's it's a very big big deal, sir. Could you please speak up? You're mumbling. No, uh, okay, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll speak up. Uh, so it's his organization, very very big, big 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 big, sir, sir, sir. We can't understand a fucking word you're saying. As you know, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna fucking kill the president. What are you even saying? Get the fuck out of here. That that was basically his. No, 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 no. Okay then. Okay. okay. <laughs> Marina, who was pregnant with the couple's second child, had enough and moved to Irving, Texas, with a friend, Ruth Payne. Instead of following his wife, Oswald went to Mexico City, walked into the Cuban embassy, and asked if he could move to Cuba. After a few days of bouncing between the Cuban embassy and the Soviet embassy, Oswald was told to fuck off by both of them back to the United States. So he did. Yeah, they literally said, we think you would actually do more harm to our cause than good, so please go back to the United States. And do harm to their cause. (laughs) Yes. Which he would. It's like fucking hot potato. You know, all the countries just bouncing them around like, no, you, 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 and the hot potato exploded in the U.S.'s hands. I just think he he very clearly immediately comes off as a complete asshole, like just an annoying prick. And he's just in there muttering, oh, yeah. looking at his shoes like, yeah, I just really want to be a, a, in the Soviet Union, you know? I, I just re- miscreant in a ne'er-do-well mm-hmm. if I've ever seen one. And they're just like, please get out. So everywhere he goes, like he started an orphanage when he was three, and they're like, please get the fuck out. 21 schools, you know. Look, I know you're three, but you're an awful human being. (laughs) Yes. Can't fucking stand. You need to put a bubble around you so snipers don't kill you while you're growing up. Yeah, 23 fucking schools. It's insane. Well, it was October of 1963. Marina still didn't want much to do with Lee, so he stayed in a boarding home in the Oak Cliff neighborhood of Dallas under the name O.H. Lee and visited Marina and Ruth Payne on the weekends. He also kept his rifle in their garage wrapped in a blanket. Ruth's neighbor got Oswald a job at the Texas School Book Depository, which sat on the corner of Houston and Elm Streets in downtown Dallas. <laughs> on the weekends, a co-worker named Wesley Frazier would take Lee to Irving, a Dallas suburb, to see Marina and the kids. Frazier was surprised when Lee asked him for a ride to Irving on Thursday, November 21st. Oswald told him he needed to pick up some curtain rods for his boarding home and wouldn't be spending the weekend. This reminds me of uh, American Psycho. People want him to do things, the main character, and he's like, yeah, I gotta return some videotapes. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's always his go-to. I need to return some tapes. Uh, curtain rods. Yeah, that's a great fucking... Please drive me 
20 miles away or whatever. <laughs> for curtain rods. For curtain rods. And now that you mention it, the main source, this was probably, it's not a funny book. It's not intended to be funny. And this part wasn't intended to be funny. But he goes out of his way and he says, and Lee Harvey Oswald didn't even need curtain rods. His apartment in Oak Cliff was fully furnished with blinds and curtains and everything. It's like, yeah, we know. It's not fucking curtain rods. You don't have to tell us that. Like, <laughs> like that made me think, is there an actual conspiracy out there where Lee Harvey Oswald did bring curtain rods with him? You know, and it's like, he, he didn't even have a gun. How could he be the shooter? You know, he, he was just bringing fucking curtain rods to work. The answer is yes. <laughs> if it can be a conspiracy, it, it's out there, man, when it involves this. That's true. And we got some crazy ones next week that'll come up that you just like, oh yeah why where did this fucking come from but yeah looking forward to do you it. know there's some that if you if you really don't know the story they seem very plausible mm. because all you have to do is establish a motive and could this have possibly happened well yeah if you ignore all of this right and all of this but I mean, we'll get into it some are a lot more plausible than others yep. well once in Irving Lee tried to reconcile with Marina. He wanted to take her and the now two kids back to Dallas. She said she'd get back together with him if he bought her a washing machine. He agreed, and she was like, Oh, fuck. That was a bluff. I am not really getting back together with you. <laughs> it's, it's like Alexei. That's how all Russians sound. <laughs> Deep, yep, sexy little voice. six-year-old Alexei, or eight-year-old, yeah. whatever he was. And then you, that's why when I look at the internet and they have all these Russian brides, I'm like... I don't know, man. I don't know if I can do the voice. They all yeah. sound like that. Especially when there's the cigarette drag between each <laughs> sentence. <laughs> also, I'm happily married. I would never mail order a Russian bride to fill... That's the, the main reason. Yeah, to, f <laughs> to fill the hole that is left in my heart by this failing marriage. <laughs> that night, Oswald went into the garage and removed his rifle from the blanket, took it apart, and wrapped it in brown paper. It's unclear if Oswald had ever actually intended to reunite with Marina, but he definitely had an ulterior motive for going to Irving on that Thursday. He had read in the Dallas Morning News that JFK would be paraded through Dallas on Friday. Lee Harvey Oswald had decided he was going to kill the President of the United States. Of America. With peaches. I was going to make a lump joke, but yeah, peaches works too. Eh, yeah. Same band. <laughs> yep. Super relevant joke. Suck it, listener. <laughs> Well, dude, I don't know about you. I could use another drink right about now. Well, I've been drinking the whole time, but I, I probably do need a break because we're about to talk about some murdering. Well, I mean, I have two, but I, you know, I kind of want a shot or two. Uh, okay, I got you. I got you. Take the edge off of. I, I don't. I don't know, man. Take the edge off something. Do I need a fucking reason? <laughs> Obviously, listen to that edge in your voice. See, yeah. I created the edge just so I can dole it down with some nice liquor. Mm. That's what I do. I just scream and yell until somebody pours whiskey in my mouth. <laughs> like, oh, you're so much more pleasant when you're drunk. And I'm like, that's why I stay drunk all the fucking time. Thank you. <laughs> now you get it. <laughs> Quit questioning me. All right. Well, let's take a break. And maybe during this break, you'll hear more about Casper mattresses. We'll find out. But you won't. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. Oh, hey, we're back. Oh, 
Hello, listener. I didn't notice you there. Hey. Hey. How are you doing? All right. Hey, hey, hey. Ooh. That's how I hit on ladies. I just say yeah. various versions of hey over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't worked so far, but we'll see. You, uh, you want to buy me a drink? Hey, <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Ooh, hey. <laughs> all right. Welcome back to 100 Proof History, the only podcast that requires all of its listeners to wear a mask while enjoying our show. Hmm. Unless you don't agree with wearing masks, then we require all of our listeners to not wear masks. We can straddle that fence because they can't see us. Oh, this coronavirus joke. Yep. I was immediately going to, like, ball gag gimp status. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I didn't know that. But <laughs> why didn't you let me know this, Chris? I'm into it. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm going to do the second half of this show rock hard. All right. Just picturing all these people. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Well, uh... You want to catch us up where we are in the story? Yes. You so, know, I'm I'm sure these these listeners might have forgotten in the ten seconds of break we had. Well, most of them are idiots, so yeah, probably. You know what? That's a good point. Uh, actually, at this point, not a lot has happened in our story. We just kind of introduced you to JFK, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, and his future assassin, Lee Harvey Oswald. Which now that I'm saying it, Lee Harvey Oswald, future assassin. It sounds like a hit TV series. I'm going to start writing a spec script right now. I mean, they're putting anything on TV these days. <laughs> yeah, it's just, they can't produce anything. So as long as I can make it where we can film and edit and produce the whole thing over Zoom. Oh, man, goldmine. <laughs> oh, it'd be the worst TV show ever. <laughs> Future assassin. Like he's actors reading shit on, <laughs> like reading scripts over Zoom. Yeah. He's like, what's this? I'm receiving a private message from Lee Harvey Oz. And then he just falls over dead. Lee Harvey Oswald, future <laughs> assassin. <laughs> anyway, like I said, not a lot's happened in this story. Basically, we're just getting you up to that fateful day, November 22nd, 1963, when JFK and his wife Jackie would be going, going on through a motorcade parade through the streets of downtown Dallas. And Lee Harvey Oswald, who had read about the route in the paper, decided, you know what, I'm going to kill that motherfucker. And that's where we're at. It's that easy, folks. And actually, fun fact about that, Lee Harvey Oswald didn't subscribe to the newspaper. He liked to borrow people's day-old papers and read those to find out about stuff. So he didn't actually find out about the visit until, like, the day before it was supposed to happen. But he had that rifle on the ready. Yep, they called him Day-Old News Lee Harvey, because nicknames were long back then, and they, they had time for that kind of thing. It was Don Harvey for short. Yeah. Well, on the morning of November 22nd, Lee Harvey Oswald put a long package in the back seat of Wesley Frazier's car and hopped in. And that's not a euphemism. Uh, Frazier said, what's in the package? Oswald said, you know, you know it's, it's probably something. It's just, you know, what, Lee? Oh, I'm sorry. It's, you know, it's just a, you know, it's, no, what, what's in the fucking pack? It's, it's, uh, curtain rods. <laughs> Frazier said, K, and drove him to work. Yeah, uh, fun fact. When Frazier was later told that had actually been a gun that was used to assassinate the President of the United States, he responded, Oh. <laughs> uh, he's that asshole that you send a, like, a six-paragraph text to, just gushing all your feelings. Okay. He's like, ah, I fucking hate you! <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like texting olds. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I had to tell my mom this. Like, I, I would tell her something like, hey, just to let you know, uh, yada yada's happening, so we'll be available on this day, or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. She'll just reply, okay. <laughs> and you know, just me being in the generation I am, I'm like, well, 
hold up, bitch. Hold up. <laughs> yeah. Did, you know? Did I offend like, you somehow? Yeah. What what the fuck are you getting attitude? <laughs> but I'm like, well, no, no, she's she's older. So I kinda had to let her in on it. And you know what she does now? What's that? Okay. <laughs> so maybe it was intentional. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Old female dog. Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> kinda had the same experience with my mom. I sent her a text. It's like, yeah. Yeah, me too. Wife is kicking me out. Kid won't talk to me. And she sent back laughy emojis. So, I know. <laughs> well, no, it was the laugh crying one. <laughs> yeah. So she thought it was like she was crying. Yeah, she was but crying. But it was the one with the big ass smile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, old people. In an eggplant and a taco for some reason. I don't know what that meant. I was over. <laughs> well, they arrived at work early. Oswald hurried into the building ahead of Frazier and went to the sixth floor, which was the top floor of the building. He stashed a rifle in between some boxes of books and then arranged more boxes to conceal the southeast corner of the floor. It was here that he found a window that would give him a vantage point over the parade route coming north on Houston Street and turning west on Elm Street. He then went to work filling book orders for public schools. In Fort Worth, President Kennedy awoke to gray, rainy skies. And that's... Kind of important to note because if you don't know Texas, Fort Worth is like 20 miles from Dallas. I don't know how far it is. It's not very far. So it's gray and cloudy and rainy there. It's gray and cloudy and rainy in Dallas. Just a little geography note for you folks. You're welcome. He went downstairs where he was met by a huge crowd. He thanked them for waiting in the rain and went on to give a speech at a public breakfast in the ballroom. Following his speech, he and Jackie hopped in their car and rode to the airport to make the short flight to Dallas. The skies had cleared, and it was turning out to be a beautiful day. You heard that right. The non-stop 13-minute flight to Dallas. <laughs> Zero layovers, people. I uh, know. Spirit Airlines will still bend you over the ticket counter and show you who you're fucking with, though. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You catch a Spirit from Fort Worth to Dallas, and there's a layover in fucking Anchorage for some reason. Like, oh, God. <laughs> the Kennedys landed at Love Field Airport in Dallas. Jackie had been given yellow roses at every stop in Texas, but here in Dallas, she was given red roses. The color of blood, people. The color of blood. Yep, not the color of urine, which is what the other cities thought of her. JFK stood before the crowd and said, This trip is turning out to be terrific. Here we are in Dallas, and it looks like everything in Texas is going to be fine for us. JFK is just really bad at, you know, giving foreboding quotes. Which you have to you have to wonder how many of these actually existed. Because yeah. they're way, way... It's almost like he was in on the assassination. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure that's a conspiracy. Oh, I'm sure it was, too. He just, like, turns and winks at the camera every time he says something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like every other story we've read, like, about cult members and serial killers and stuff like that, where people go back and then start analyzing their childhood once they know what they turned out to be. Sure. So, like, this quote never would have come up again. If he drives through Dallas, gets to the trademark, and leaves for Washington on the plane, just perfectly health. But now that he did, everybody's like, <gasps> he said it's going to turn out great. What an idiot. Okay. So, Chris, you and I had conversation leading into this podcast mm -hmm. over, over this online meeting. Yes. Can you quote a fucking single thing I said? No. The mind works this way. It makes connections where they might otherwise not exist. So I don't necessarily believe any of these quotes, especially after such a traumatic event. Do you think they're really remembering the extreme nuance of every single thing this dude said? And they just all happen to, 
you know, be these foreboding yeah. and ominous. Ooh, that's creepy. He said that because this happened. I don't fucking believe it. I believe in nothing, Lebowski. For the sake of our entertaining podcast, of course they, he said these things. It's it makes the story more interesting. Shut up, Greg. Second, <laughs> second, of course I remember what you said to me because it's the same thing you say every week. He's like, if this pl- this episode doesn't get a thousand listens, I'm going to kill you. Like I have contacted authorities. I've written a letter to my wife and put it in a safety deposit box. It says if I turn up dead, Greg killed me. So, yeah. But you can't prove it until we uh, don't get a thousand listens. So. Yep, it's on you, listener. You Next s- Christmas season, you're fucked. <laughs> it's true. Nobody listens to podcasts during Christmas season. <laughs> That's true. Oh God, thoughts and prayers for me. Although you know, maybe interesting podcasting. If one of the hosts murders the other, then you can just turn this thing into a true crime thing. Did I do it? Find out next week on Two Hundred oh. Proof History. <laughs> JFK and Jackie hopped in their Lincoln. Two Secret Service agents rode in the front seat. Governor Connolly and his wife Nellie sat in the middle on jump seats. And Nellie entertained them the whole ride. If you want to go and take a ride with me, we three willing in the fall with the goldies. Oh, why do I live this way? Hey, must be the money! That Nellie. That, that's exactly what the governor's wife was doing in the jump yep. seats. Yep. With that band-aid on her cheek. <laughs> Well, Jackie sat in the left rear seat, and JFK sat in the right rear seat. The motorcade set off for a luncheon, which featured a glossy program with an intro by Governor Connolly, who wrote, quote, This is a day long to be remembered in Texas. See, we have that one in writing, so we know that was real. At the book depository, it was nearing the lunch hour. The parade was scheduled to pass around 1220, and pretty much all of the employees were filing out to watch. Lee's co-workers asked him if he was heading down. He gave vague answers and lingered behind before heading up to the sixth floor where he was all alone. And once again, he was just looking at his fucking shoes. Well, you know, I gotta eat my lunch. And what? Was that about you? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I love the president. I wouldn't shoot him in the face. I definitely wouldn't do that. I don't want to. Sure, you were trailing anymore. off as you were turning away from me <laughs> while talking to me. What? Yeah. Uh, nothing, nothing. I just got to put together a rifle and shoot the president. It's no big deal. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love you. Once he was up on the sixth floor, he grabbed his rifle and moved to his perch and concealed his position by moving boxes of books. Then, he waited. That's gravitas, Greg. That's how you do that. (laughs) The motorcade moved through Dallas at about 10 to 15 miles per hour. Thousands of people gathered along the sidewalk to cheer for the president and his wife. They were already running behind, but JFK didn't care and stopped the cars to greet a group of schoolchildren and then again to speak with some Catholic nuts. He's like, <laughs> hey, ladies, here's my phone number. Like, sir, <laughs> Mr. President, we took a vow of celibacy. Yeah, so did my wife after I met Marilyn Monroe, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, he gets a pelvic thrust at the nuns. <laughs> and he, like, does this snappy thing. All right, let's get this shit show on the road. And his limo pulls I'm off. I'm going to turn one of you. You're going to be liking them pernos I've been watching. <laughs> Yeah, he's in Texas, so of course now he has Texas accent. I like yeah. Perno. Well, finally, just after 12.29 p.m., the motorcade emerged onto Houston Street and began to drive directly toward the book depository. Nellie Connolly turned to Kennedy and said, Hey, must be... You're no. going down, down, <laughs> oh, Sorry. She said, Well, you can't say that Dallas doesn't love you today, Mr. President. See, she went the other way. She went old-timey voice. Kennedy smiled. 
Yeah, and she said exactly that too. That's exactly what happened. Just because so it's twelve, it's twelve twenty nine p.m. Yeah, for the listener, the first shot is fired at twelve thirty. <laughs> it's just so I'm, she just happened to say this right fucking before they turned onto the street where he would die. It's just, dude, it's all too revisionist, and <laughs> I, I know it's not revisionist in our eyes, but just in these people's eyes, the the memory, the. The classic thing you hear about the unreliable witness. Yeah. You know, it's because your brain makes connections that aren't necessarily there, especially in a traumatic event. It's a protection mechanism that fills in the blanks. Yeah. I feel like there's a fucking ton of this. Or she could just be fucking lying. Like if you got or sh- that. You got shot in the face, I'd be like, yeah, I told him. I was like, man, I bet you, you don't get shot in the face today. Like afterward, just for the shits and giggles. Just so I, I could be a part of this story, too. Wink at the fucking reporter <laughs> asking you the question. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I said. Uh-huh. As I slowly dismantle a rifle. Like, I don't know. <laughs> it's coincidence. Unrelated. Oswald didn't know it, but at this point, he was no longer alone on the sixth floor. Another employee, Bonnie Ray Williams, had gone to the sixth floor to wait for his friends to watch the motorcade. Well, he eventually became impatient and moved down to the fifth floor where he found his friends. They watched the motorcade approach from the windows directly below Oswald. Oswald also didn't know it, but several witnesses had spotted him in his perch from the ground below. Those that noticed he had a rifle assumed that he was a Secret Service sniper there to guard the president and said nothing. Gotta love the guy who, like, pointed it out to his wife, you know? Yeah. He's like, hey, hey, babe, look up there. You know, told her to look at the Secret Service agent. What adult. She's probably like, George, this is the last time. <laughs> Just standing there in this fucking white-ass t-shirt and blue jeans holding a rifle. Oh, yeah, that's that's what I expect a Secret Service agent to look like. See? They look just like regular folk. <laughs> that's how they get you. Sunglasses, <laughs> creepy as fuck. Yep. Blending in with the criminals. <laughs> he probably thought it was going to get him laid. He's like, hey, honey, look at that. Secret Service agent. No one else is noticing <laughs> that. Just your badass husband. <laughs> just your smart-as-fuck husband. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Getting to do it with the lights on tonight. All right. And that same couple you're mentioning, they were watching Oswald, but right as they looked up, a guy started having an epileptic seizure on the ground. Yeah, down there in Delia Plaza. Yeah, and when they looked back up, they couldn't see Oswald anymore. But it's got to be it's got to be real shitty to be the guy who had the seizure because like he misses the whole thing and he's just laying there. And he goes home, he's like, honey, you will not believe what happened to me today. I had the worst day. Why are you watching the news and crying? Pay attention to me. Cook me a steak before I have another seizure. <laughs> the motorcade came down Houston Street. Oswald didn't fire. He didn't know how many shots he'd get, and if he fired, he'd certainly be spotted. He watched as the parade passed directly beneath him from Houston onto Elm Street. It was 12.30 p.m. Oswald watched as the motorcade moved down Elm Street. JFK was no more than 100 feet away at this point. Oswald put the president in the crosshairs and pulled the trigger. He missed. The bullet struck the roadway, fragmented, and gave a bystander a minor injury. The motorcade continued at a slow pace. People weren't sure whether they had heard a gunshot or a car backfire. The three men on the floor below Oswald knew what had happened. The shot echoed loudly through the building and shook dust loose onto their heads. Which at that point, why the fuck are you still sitting there? Well, I mean, they knew what it was, but what are they going to do, man? Yeah, and I don't mention it in the outline, but even when like the three shots happen, 
they see some police running a different direction after the shooting and they run in that direction to try and see what's going on instead of just going, hey, those shots were up there, man. I don't know if you guys had checked that floor. They just take off running. Dude, I sound like a fucking broken record, but of course hindsight's twenty twenty as they're recollecting this. Yeah. They didn't know at the time. Like, they just, boom, they hear it. Mm-hmm. You know, dust comes onto their head. They hear the shell casing hit the ground yeah. above them. Yeah. They're not putting these pieces together. No. It's just like, oh, fuck, fuck, what's what, what's going It's only later when they're recollecting this where they're like, oh, yeah, we knew, it, we knew it was above us. No, you didn't. You know now that you're... You have time to sit there and process all this. Yeah, and, and not to assume anything, but these were, you know, three black guys in 1960s Dallas, and someone's just shot some, you know, the president from that building. They might be just be thinking, let's get out of here before we get blamed for this shit. That's also a good point, yeah. Oswald cycled the bolt of his rifle and took aim at the president, who was now about 190 feet away. 3.4 seconds had passed since the first shot. Oswald fired again. The bullet struck Kennedy in the upper back, just to the right of his spine. It exited through the front of his throat, struck Governor Connolly in the back, exited his chest, hit his right wrist, and then became embedded in Governor Connolly's thigh. Seven wounds from one bullet. They call this the magic bullet. But we're not going to talk about this this episode. You have to come back next week. Now everyone knew what was happening, but the car still did not speed off. Governor Connolly shouted, They're going to kill us all! Secret Service agent Clint Hill leapt off of his car and raced toward the president. 8.4 seconds had passed since the first shot. Oswald pulled the trigger a third time. This bullet struck Kennedy in the back of his head. It tore a hole through his skull. The right rear of the president's head then exploded, spewing blood and brains into the air. He slumped over into Jackie's lap. As Agent Hill reached the back of the Lincoln, it appeared as if Jackie... Roadhead, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> was Sorry. That... No, no. This is a serious moment in the story, Greg. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's unwritten rules of the road, Chris. <laughs> well, as Agent Hill reached the back of the Lincoln, it appeared as if Jackie was reaching back for him. In reality, she was picking a piece of her husband's skull off of the trunk. Which I remember when I first watched this and realized that's what she was doing in the Zapruder film. Yeah. It was like, oh, God. <laughs> like That just shows how traumatic it was. I mean, yeah. it's hard to imagine yourself in that, in that scenario, yeah. that situation. Yeah, because, you know, she's not thinking, oh, he's dead, you know, and there's nothing well, we can do. Oh, this is a piece of him. Yeah, he, he's going to need that. Well, and that's basically what she gets to is... You know, if they're, if they're going to do, this is what she said after the fact, if they're going to do surgery on him, he's going he's gonna to need this piece in order to put him back together. Yep. To put old Humpty Dumpty back together again. Yep. It's just like a broken vase. That's what his skull was. She's like, oh, we need that and the super glue. Here we go. I thought my eggshell it was, analogy it was, was, was good. good enough. It was good. It was fine. I'm sorry. I just want to be important. I just want. I hate you, Chris. I hate you. <laughs> I just want to feel something for once. <laughs> uh, that's what my wife said. <laughs> Agent Hill jumped on top of Jackie and the president as the car sped off and raced to nearby Parkland Hospital. The doctors would do what they could to save the president, but the truth was the third shot had killed him immediately. At 1 p.m. on November 22, 1963, President John F. Kennedy was officially pronounced deceased. It also didn't help that Jackie wouldn't let go of his body once yeah. they were in the ambulance bay at the hospital. Yeah. 
She, like, she had to be coaxed out of it. Oh, she knew he was dead, too. She, They were all like, oh, we're doctors. We have to do something as the president. But she knew he was dead. Clint Hill, as soon as he got out of the limo, was like, oh, no. He told a reporter. The reporter's like, what's it look like? And he's like, oh, he's dead. He's just straight up fucking dead. And so they all knew, but, you know, the doctors felt like they had to do something. So they worked on him for, you know, I guess it took about 10 minutes to get to the hospital. So they worked on him for 20 minutes. But his brain was gone. There was nothing you could do. It wasn't gone. <laughs> well, parts I of mean, it. Sure. <laughs> but people can survive that. Yep. That's how we establish a listener base. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've insulted our listeners too much this episode. I, I take it all back. I love you guys. I don't think you had lobotomies. Yeah, no, I, I like insulting the listener. But yeah, you're, you're murdering them. Right <laughs> <laughs> so good old Lee Harvey tucked the rifle behind some boxes and hurried downstairs to the break room as police and Secret Service agents rushed towards the building. The depository manager, Mr. Truly, and a Dallas police officer named Baker ran into Oswald but let him go when Mr. Truly vouched for him as an employee. Thank you, Mr. Truly. <laughs> He's looking at his can of Truly right now. <laughs> Supposed to be drinking whiskey on our podcast and he's drinking uh, hard drank seltzers. I so much of it in the first half. Oh, what a stupid! <laughs> I, I, and on the break. Okay, I know we're, not, we're we've talked about this. We don't want to judge people in hindsight. This is a very unique, traumatic event. The cop runs in there and he's like, "Who's that man?" And the the oh no, don't worry about him. He works here. Well, like no one in the building who worked there who would have access to the sixth floor would have been the shooter. It's like, oh, oh, you have a job. Obviously, you couldn't kill the president. You wouldn't want to risk that dollar twenty five an hour. Well, again, hindsight, you know. Yeah, I do feel like, based on what's about to happen, Officer Baker had some hard times in his, you know, coming days, just thinking about what-ifs. Maybe. Lee Harvey Oswald went right out the front door, walked a few blocks, and hopped on a bus. The fucked-up thing was, the bus route actually went right back to Dealey Plaza, where Kennedy was shot, and got stuck in the traffic that had been created by Kennedy's assassination. He got tired of sitting on the bus, jumped off, and took a taxi over to Beckley Street near his boarding home. He walked the rest of the way to his residence and grabbed his thirty-eight caliber revolver. It's kind of weird because we've, you know, we do this podcast and... We do? Yeah, uh, I didn't know if you were aware. Uh, oh. You've been showing up late, you know, the last few days. That was my passive-aggressive dig at you. We do a podcast, Greg. It'd be nice oh. if you attended. I thought these were just videos for your mom. Oh, well, I send those too because she specifically requests them for some reason. I mean, her and I have made so many. I figured you <laughs> and I will make some for her. Yeah, just a bunch of special memories with my future stepdad. Yes. Anyway, no, it reminds me, obviously, a lot of the Lincoln assassination where Booth had a plan to get out of town. He's like, okay, kill the president, gonna hop him a horse, ride across the bridge. Once I get there, I'll just lie to the idiot guard. And tell him, oh, yeah, I was banging a chick all day. Now I need to get home. He'd be like, yeah, high fives and let me go. Lee Harvey's like, oh, shit. What do, what do, I, what do I do? What do I do? Um, is he get on the bus? Get on the bus? No, no, yeah. no, no. No, the bus is going the wrong way. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. The bus is going the wrong way. Just, yeah. Hey, taxi. 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 Okay, now I'm going home. Now what? Now what? I need another gun. I need another gun. Let's get a gun. Was, I mean, he had no fucking clue what he was doing at this point. That's a big distinction that the author of both of our main sources for these for these episodes kind of intimated was that Harvey had no plan, whereas John Wilkes Booth 
had this elaborate plan with a lot of co-conspirators yeah. that formed basically a line down to his his escape, his hopeful escape into Mexico. Yeah. You know, that was the big difference. And the crazy thing is, uh, Oswald learned about the president coming a few days early, so he had all this time to plan. He'd already tried to assassinate somebody. Booth learned the morning of his assassination and put it all together. Yeah. And, th- and then he almost made it out of there. I think if he hadn't broken his foot, he probably would have made it to Mexico. Yeah. I agree with that. So Oswald does eventually get home, and he grabs his thirty-eight revolver. The assassination witnesses, who had originally thought Oswald was a Secret Service agent, gave his description to the authorities, who put it out as fast as they could. Back in Oak Cliff, Dallas police officer J.D. Tippett spotted a man walking down the sidewalk who matched the description. It was Oswald. Tippett called Oswald over to his car and talked to him through the passenger window. Then, for an undetermined reason, Tippett decided to step out of the car to talk to Oswald and ordered him around the car. And when we say undetermined, I don't want our listeners to get confused. We're not questioning his judgment there. We just don't know what his thinking was, because it could have been he saw the gun sticking out of his pants, could have said, this guy does match description, his story doesn't make sense, let me talk to you over here. Who knows? Yeah. Of course we're about to find out why from Tippett's own personal count of this story. Yes. Yeah. As soon as Officer Tippett exited his vehicle, Oswald pulled out his revolver and shot the officer in the chest three times. Tippett fell to the ground. Oswald stood over him, pointed the gun downward, and shot J.D. Tippett in the head, killing him. As he walked away, witnesses heard Oswald saying, Poor dumb cop. What? What did you say? Poor dumb cop. Witnesses thought they saw his mouth intimating the words, poor dumb cop. They were all deaf and happened to be expert lip readers, because that's the only way you would have heard them. Shout out to our deaf listeners, by the way. Yeah, it's at this point in the story where, for me, Oswald stops going from the John Wilkes Booth loser, ha ha, I killed the president, yay, and let's make fun of him. Just, <laughs> just straight up fucking sh- piece of shit monster. You know, it's like, ugh, I don't even feel like dignifying this guy with the story at this point. He's just a fucking asshole. Just fucking piece of human trash. Yeah. Unlike John Wilkes Booth, who's my personal hero. <laughs> okay. So after Oswald had killed J.D. Tippett, he continued to flee on foot and walk to Jefferson Avenue. When a police car passed, he quickly turned to act like he was looking into the window of a shoe store. Well, the cop passed, but the manager of the shoe store saw this and thought it was suspicious, and decided to follow Oswald as he walked down the street. Lee Harvey then ducked into the Texas theater without paying for his ticket, and set with a few other cinema-goers for a showing of a World War II movie, War is Hell. The shoe store manager urged the theater to call the police. Suddenly, the lights of the theater were thrown on and police officers rushed inside. They ran up to Oswald, who punched one in the face and reached for the gun he had. An officer then punched Oswald in the face, and another struck him with the butt of a shotgun. Oswald, of course, then began to scream that he wasn't resisting. Little bitch. (laughs) (laughs) He was placed under arrest for the murder of J.D. Tippett. He straight up punches a cop in the face. And he's like, just a prank, bro. Just a prank. I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm no, good. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Cool, 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 cool. cool. Base. Base. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm at base. I surrender. I surrender, fellas. You can't do anything. 
And they're like, motherfucker, body cams won't even be invented for another 50 years. You're in fucking trouble right now. And just beat the shit out of him. (laughs) Back at Parkland, the doctors wanted to perform an autopsy on JFK as it was state law. An argument ensued and the Secret Service just said, all right, well, fuck you, and took the body anyway. Vice President Lyndon B. Johnson was rushed to Lovefield Airport where he was sworn in as President of the United States. By his side was Jackie Kennedy, whose pink suit and stockings were still covered in the blood and brains of her deceased husband. The body of JFK was placed on the plane and flown back to Maryland, where an autopsy was performed. Yeah, and just in case our listeners are wondering, they're thinking, why didn't anybody give her a change of clothes? She's the first lady, for God's sake. She did that on purpose. Like, she was mad at herself because she washed her face. And she was like, I didn't, I wasn't thinking. I want them to see what they've done to my husband. And we don't really get into it, but Jackie is like a badass throughout this whole thing, you know, after the assassination, just, you know, level-headed, very smart about how she goes about everything, very calm. I don't know how to, how to phrase I it. I feel like this is, and this is just my interpretation, but I feel like this is the point where Jackie went from being a human to being just an empty vessel. Yeah, maybe, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, she was just never... She was never really the, the same, same yeah. boisterous, happy person that she was. Yeah. And I'm not a a Jackie O historian or anything like that, but you're just I a, don't know, man. You're just a smart person who knows that once a husband's dead, the wife's life has no meaning. That's what you're saying. I get it. Okay. I'm glad somebody recognizes. <laughs> In Dallas, the ridiculous interrogation of Lee Harvey Oswald began. He was found to have two ID cards one with his real name, and one with the name A.J. Hadell. When asked what his real name was, he replied, You figure it out. You're the detective. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Go ahead and detect. You look at my pants, you might detect a boner. <laughs> I like these handcuffs, just saying. I'm not locked up in here with you. You're locked up in here with me, motherfuckers. You just don't know it. <laughs> I'm, th- I'm physically locked up. You're mentally tied to me. Mm. Just, I don't know how Lee Harvey Oswald just turned into a weird pervert, but here we are. It's just the road we've gone down. Got all the confidence in the world <laughs> yeah. after he assassinated just the president. Stopped his muttering. He just, he just, and then just found his kink and fully exploited it. <laughs> if only he had known sooner. Well, he denied shooting anyone. He denied owning a rifle, even when he was shown the picture of him holding the rifle. He said he was the owner of A.J. Hadell's P.O. box where the rifle and pistol had been sent, and he was the only one who had ever accessed it, but said he never received a rifle from there. <laughs> so fucking stupid. Just so fucking stupid. He says the pic- yeah. picture is fake, and then we have to wait. I think it was 2019 when they finally analyzed this picture using computers and like, no, no, there's no way that picture was fake. It's completely- <laughs> yeah. Well, he told lie after lie. None of it mattered. The authorities had witnesses, they had found the gun with the serial number registered to A.J. Hadell, and they had been to Marina's house and found the empty blanket where he had been keeping the rifle up until the day before the assassination. They knew they had the man who had killed both Officer Tippett and the President of the United States. Police Chief Jesse Curry was so worried that the police would blame him and the city of Dallas for failing to protect the President that he allowed the media a ridiculous amount of access to Lee Harvey Oswald. He was interviewed by the press on two separate occasions and denied he had shot anyone, asked for legal representation from New York, and claimed he was a patsy. 
And what he does in this interview, uh, our main source actually points out pretty well, is a pretty common liar's tactic. They say, did you shoot the president? And he says, well, they haven't charged me with it. It's like, that's, that's not what I... Is it a yes or no question, motherfucker? Like, if I said, Greg, did you have sex with Michael Buble last night? And the answer is... I wish. <laughs> okay, but that's still a no, right? Oswald was interrogated all throughout Saturday the 23rd. On the 24th, he was slated to be transferred to the county jail. Did I say 24th? Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like on the 24th. On the 24th day of Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> My true love gave to me a bullet in the tummy. Whoa. Coming right up. Whoa. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> The detective wanted uh, to transport him in secrecy in the middle of the night. However, Chief Curry had promised the press that Oswald would be transported to jail at 10 a.m., and they could wait in the basement of police headquarters to report on the transfer. And, of course, this information and the very specific time were reported to the public. What could go wrong? Nothing. Literally (laughs) nothing. Oswald was put on trial, found guilty, and executed. The end. We'll see you later. The story was wrapped up in a neat little bow. Nobody ever questioned the official reports. Yay! The following morning, Oswald was handcuffed to Dallas police detective Jim Lavelle and was ordered to follow Lavelle no matter what. Lavelle joked with Oswald and said, Lee, if anybody shoots you, I hope they're as good a shot as you were. Lee replied, Oh, they ain't going to be anybody shooting at me. You're just just being melodramatic. Why would anybody shoot me? I don't know. I don't understand why... (laughs) Which, this seems like a really fucked up thing to joke about, you know, with, with the man that just killed the president. Just killed the president and one of your fellow police officers. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly, I, I dude. I hope if somebody shoots at you, they don't hit me by accident. <laughs> Gosh, High yeah. fives. All around the room. Right. He goes home and tells his wife, he's like, honey, this one killed. Around the water cooler, I said, I hope nobody shoots me when they shoot you, Lee. (laughs) And she's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I'm filing for a divorce and taking the children. (laughs) Stop projecting, Chris. (laughs) I was about to say, that's my personal experience. I actually don't know. (laughs) As they entered the basement, Oswald said to a reporter, I'd like to to contact a member or representative of the American, American Civil Liberties Union. Reporter's like, what? What? Speak up! (laughs) He'd repeat it like five times. (laughs) But regardless, these would be his last words. Just then, a local nightclub owner named Jack Ruby emerged from the crowd holding a pistol. A Dallas police officer shouted, Jack, you son of a bitch, don't! It was too late. Ruby approached Oswald from the left and fired a shot into his abdomen. Officers tackled Ruby and stripped the gun from his hands as he shouted, I hope I killed the son of a bitch! Oswald was rushed to Parkland Hospital. The surgeons refused to operate on him in Trauma Room 1, where they had attempted to save the president two days earlier and instead took him to Trauma Room 2. So much for the uh, Hippocratic Oath. Well, yeah, I was about to say, I imagine the surgeon's like, all right, let's get started. Ah, I forgot to wash my hands. I'll be right back. Whoopsie. Comes back. You know this takes like six minutes. He comes back. Picks up the scalpel, starts to go, and immediately drops it on the floor. Oh, that's not sanitary. Let me take off my glove and pick that up. (laughs) Oh, no, what am I thinking? Oh, Mondays, right? (laughs) (laughs) 
They tried their best, but at 107 on November 24th, 1963, Lee Harvey Oswald was pronounced dead at the age of 24. Oldest looking 24 year old I've ever fucking seen. No shit, right? <laughs> the same day in Washington, D.C., the casket containing the body of John Kennedy was taken from the East Room of the White House, placed on a wagon drawn by six horses, and led to the Capitol building to lie in repose, just as had been done for Abraham Lincoln 98 years earlier. A congressional service was held for the president, and then the public was allowed to come view the casket. Over 200,000 people would walk past before the body was transferred to Arlington National Cemetery. On November 25, 1963, John F. Kennedy was laid to rest and an eternal flame was lit next to his gravesite. In Dallas, thousands showed up on the same day for the funeral of Dallas police officer J.D. Tippett. That day in Fort Worth, the man who had killed both of them was placed in a pine box that had to be carried by the press because the man inside, Lee Harvey Oswald, had no friends. With the burial of these men came only more questions that would be difficult to answer. And now, almost 60 years later, People are still coming up with their own theories as to what happened and why. But that is where we will pick up next week. End of, End this, of episode. this part of the story. <laughs> All right. We did it. We told the whole story. There's nothing else to tell on this one. There's no questions that need to be asked by the idiots of the internet. Just take us at our word. This is exactly what happened. I guess for some fucking reason, Greg kind of made me we're going to talk about all of your idiotic theories next week but uh yeah we'll, we'll get into that we'll get into our personal beliefs next week for now it is time for our favorite segment lee harvey oswald's least favorite segment surprises slash misconceptions you might have had about the story gregory well thank you for asking christopher dude I, there, there's a lot of things right uh -huh. mm -hmm. like there is any any time we research something it's you think you know it, and then a lot of stuff kind of comes up, and it's oh, that's interesting. This is interesting. My big one, which isn't even that big, or I don't really need to uh, expound on it, is Oswald was arrested for the uh, for the murder of J.D. Tippett. Yeah, that was the. I didn't realize that, or maybe I had learned it and forgotten it. I don't know, but yeah, it was... it's just interesting that they're looking for a man. Of this description, and they end up finding him in that theater, and he was arrested for the murder of a cop. Yeah. Even though they're looking, you know, for a, a presidential assassin. Yeah, and the way that worked out was there was a lot, actually a lot of witnesses that saw him shoot J.D. Tippett, and they kind of followed him for as long as they could, and so it sort of connected the dots when that shoe shop owner saw the guy that matched the same description going to the theater. So the police were able to connect those dots, yeah. Well, sure, but it was also the dude wearing the same exact shit as the as all the people in Dealey Plaza were saying that, you know, the shooter of President Kennedy. That's just kind of how law works. You have to have probable cause in order to detain somebody. And so even if they knew, like, all right, this is the dude that got Kennedy, too, they have to be able to prove that they detained him rightfully. Yeah, and that's where actually a lot of conspiracy theories originate is they were like, Oh, it was just very convenient that they found this guy who shot a cop, and now he's suddenly the guy who also shot the president. But of course, we'll we'll talk about that next week. Well, Christopher, what is your biggest surprise or misconception about this story? So for some reason, I don't feel like I've studied this story intensely, but I knew 
pretty much the whole thing, at least the official account. Um, but our main source brings up a good point. It's about the coincidences and the synchronicity. What if the Soviet Union says, Oswald, you can, you can come back to Cuba? Or what if the night before the assassination, Marina says, yeah, I'll take you back? Or, you know, Lee Harvey Oswald doesn't get the paper because he doesn't pay for it. So he doesn't see that the president's coming to town. It's all these what ifs that connect the butterfly effect. Yeah, exactly. And I I do love that. Uh, I feel like we talk about this in a lot of our episodes where you're you're like, there are a hundred things that had to go right. And if any of them didn't go exactly right, this doesn't happen. This is never a story. And I always, I, that's always one of my favorite parts of learning a story. And we, I think we talked about it a lot in Munich. Uh, we may have talked about it in Lincoln assassination. If he's not sitting down next to that dude who goes, Hey, president's coming, you know, he doesn't kill the president that night. So, uh, that's always one of my favorite things. So I, I really did enjoy our source, our main source pointing that out about this as well. Well, but here's the thing about that. Like imagine the alternate reality where one of those things was different. Yeah. Maybe they're sitting there saying the same fucking thing. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. That's true. Dan Carlin did a great episode or a great series on World War One, And he starts it off by talking about how, you know, Gabrilo Princip basically was the ignition point, the spark of World War One. What if, What if this one dude didn't do this one fucking thing? How different would the world be today? Right. Yeah, exactly. World War One wouldn't have happened or would have been different. World War Two would not have happened. Like, it's just this huge compounding effect. So yeah. it is interesting to to think about these minor bit players in history, just these random people that make these massive, massive differences. And that's why my favorite movie is The Butterfly Effect starring Ashton Kutcher. Mm, I hate uh, <laughs> I hate that that... I hate that that movie has stolen that phrase. <laughs> we just lost a hundred listeners. They're like, nope, out. These guys are idiots. <laughs> no, we love Ashton. <laughs> All right, Greg, take us home. All right, guys, thanks for hanging around till this part. Find us at 100proofhistory.com or 100proofhistory.com. Your choice. We are fair and equitable. Mm-hmm. Whether you like your numbers spelled out or in Arabic numerals, we got you covered. Oof. And that's why... When you go to that site, you click on that Patreon link. Maybe show us a little love. Show us a little little nip-nip. Mm, yep. If you want to. If you do, we've got a ton of Hangover episodes. We put those out every week. They are increasing in numbers. You're also getting our older episodes. It's for a pretty small sum, monthly. Or mm-hmm. just do it one time, and then fucking bootleg all that shit and then cancel it. <laughs> That's what I would do. <laughs> I'm a dirtbag, though. Maybe don't be me. But uh, either way, we enjoy you listening, and we look forward to seeing you guys next week. To our Patreon members, we'll see y'all on Monday. Yep. Love you guys. Some hot and fresh out the kitchen. Mm. Is that Nelly? Hot and fresh. No, that's R. Kelly. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. I'm an idiot. (laughs) I love you guys. Bye. The first few years of his presidency focused on two hot and but on the two hot button issues of the day. Hot pocket. <sighs> Why they call it hot pocket if it's cold when you buy it? You gotta add the heat. Fucking horseshit. Oswald's Oswald's. I did it too. <laughs> Fucking. 
Australian jizz explosion. That's what I call an Oswald. Oswald. <laughs> if he wasn't fucking my mother, he wouldn't be here. <laughs> a congressional service was held for the president, and then the public was allowed to come view the cast. <laughs> they were allowed to come all over the body. <laughs> a congr- <laughs> it's a bukkake service. <laughs>